And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you know that this past Tuesday evening, I was invited to speak at Temple Road of Shalom, which is the local synagogue over on Westmoreland Street. They have a series this summer on different religions. The week before, they had someone from the Baha'i faith speaking, and this Tuesday, they have a Baptist minister speaking. I presented them a, a, a basic sketch of Christian faith, what's distinctive about Christian faith, how we come to believe, how we come to accepting the testimony of the apostles, that they were not afraid of the world like a cult, but went out to all the known world. They were willing to suffer. There was no ulterior motive that it could have driven their evangelization, and ultimately they died to proclaim the faith. And because of them, we believe in the resurrection. And as a result of believing firmly in the resurrection, we come to know the divinity of Christ. And having come into faith in the divinity of Christ, we realize then this amazing mystery of God being triune, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a variety of the different ramifications of this distinctive act of faith that Christians make. As you can imagine, people who would have come from the synagogue to hear a Catholic priest speak were interested and inquisitive. The questions that followed were were very interesting. They ranged from, uh, since all of us monotheists proclaim to pray to one God, Muslims, Jews, Christians, do we all pray to the same God? And the one asking the question seemed to agree with me that Christians and Jews certainly pray to the same God. I'm not sure about Muslims. But on the other hand, another questioner raised a fascinating comment, that being that since Jews and Muslims are adamant about believing in only one God, he seems to think that they have more in common as opposed to us Christians, whom he didn't label as polytheists, but you could see that that's what he was thinking. And it's very helpful for us as Christians to gain more perspective about what it is that we profess and how we should never take it for granted. Certainly, the Ten Commandments could be discerned by a particularly wise holy soul or a particularly intelligent philosopher, but they also were revealed. Worship God, treat your neighbor as yourself. But no one in a million years, not the holiest person, not the smartest person, could ever figure out the Holy Trinity, unless God revealed this mystery to us. The more personal questions, obviously revealing a great deal of personal suffering, concerned the reality of evil and how difficult it is to believe in a God who created the whole universe and yet still cares about us, even though so many awful, terrible, violent things take place. Or even how difficult it is to to belong to a confession of faith when people commit evil in the name of your own religion. And the responses that I offered were more along the lines of the standard apologetic that you would probably know yourself. For instance, if if you see an arrangement of books or an arrangement of chairs 
and they're all in order, you know that someone put them in order, someone's keeping them in order. So wherever you see order, wherever you see beauty, you know that you see someone having put it in order and someone continuing to maintain it in order. We don't need to have seen it as it happened in order to know that someone did it and is continuing to do that. By the same token, I would expect people to do evil things in the name of my religion because I expect human beings to belong to my religion. And in no way would I look uh, less fondly at my faith because someone does something evil in the name of it as much as I would refuse to listen to a particular piece of music because people happen to um, do bad things while they're listening to that same music. But I think I missed out on an opportunity. And it's revealed in, in today's gospel from the 19th chapter of St. Luke. How is it that we can believe in God even though there are tumultuous, awful things happening in the universe because of us? Well, because the Lord wept. How is it that I can believe this faith even when some people do bad things in the name of it? Because the Lord wept. How is it that I can honor and obey someone and respect and pray for someone even when they do bad things? Because the Lord wept. How can I believe that God wants me to be holy when he permits me to commit a mortal sin? Because the Lord wept. How can I be convinced that God loves me? That God isn't just upset that his project has fallen into chaos and confusion, that he isn't just angry that people are ruining his, his construction project, that he actually loves me when he suffers on the cross for me, because the Lord wept. How is it that I know that what takes place on this altar actually is for everyone's salvation, even though some will not believe in it, and is the means of my participating in the sacrifice that Christ offered in Jerusalem. Because the Lord wept. How is it that I can be patient with people when they continue to bad thing, continue to do bad things, even when they claim to have reformed their lives because the Lord wept. How is it that I can love my enemy and pray for my persecutors and ask God to forgive those who are in the process of ruining me because the Lord wept? How is it that I won't be overwhelmed with evil and won't lose my salvation when everything is arranged against me because the Lord wept. When we think of what the tears of St. Monica won, 
Can we even begin to imagine the value of one tear that fell from our Lord's face out of love for us? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.